now, this, this, this concept, this concept of community, uh, it's, 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 it can be a, a little tricky in, in our day and age. Uh, and I think what's I think it's fitting that we talk about community this week and the passage that we um, just read. It's actually a big moment in Christian history. It's called Pentecost. Uh, and the church, the church world is actually going to celebrate that in just a few days. It's considered the uh, birthday of the church. And, and the writer of Acts is this guy named Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Um, and what's interesting about Luke is he's a doctor. Uh, and that's really important and cool to see because um, if you've ever been to a doctor... Um, what they will point out to you when you're in your appointment. Um, they will point out things that maybe you might have not been able to see. They'll diagnose you with things that if you didn't have a trained eye, uh, you wouldn't have seen it on your own. Uh, and when you read Acts with that view, that Luke is a doctor, you start noticing a couple things that he's trying to point out. Uh, and what I'm trying to say to you is the doctor in this passage wants you to see something. Uh, now, the Pentecost that we see here in Acts uh, takes place 50 days after Jesus' death. Uh, and then he resurrected, and Pentecost actually means 50th, so that's why, that's why it's called that. And we, we see the Holy Spirit, one of the three persons of the Trinity, um, kind of in this passage. It comes down on God's people, and Jesus promised this while he was here on earth in his ministry, uh, that all followers of Jesus will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's where I'm going to nerd out a little bit. You guys ready? It's going to be awesome, I promise. Um, we, we call this Pentecost, but did you know there actually was a Pentecost before this? Did you guys know that? Um, it, it's earlier in the Bible. It's nowhere near the book of Acts. It's actually all the way back in the book of Exodus. If you don't know, in Exodus, there's a, there's a different kind of Pentecost. It was 50 days after the miraculous deliverance of the Jewish people um, from Egypt. If we remember the Israelites... Uh, the, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, were enslaved by the nation of Egypt, and God had told Moses, who kind of had an in with the Pharaoh, um, and to, to essentially free these Israelites. And, and things got really ugly, because Pharaoh said no, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and we've probably heard that, of, of the story, this famous story of God parting the Red Sea to uh, let the Israelites through, Moses kind of leading the charge on that whole thing. Um, and they got out of slavery in Egypt. And 50 days after that moment, Moses had ascended this mountain called Mount Sinai to receive the law from God for the Israelites because God said, this is going to be my nation. And the text tells us that Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments at the top of this mountain and it shakes with an earthquake. And soon after, Moses comes down from the mountain. To, he, he finds God's people worshiping a golden calf, one of the idols that Egypt had installed while, um, they, while the Israelites were enslaved um, to worship. And, and that's kind of fascinating to see. Um, studies have come out about this, but when, when there have been habits and rules built into a group of people that have been enslaved for hundreds of years, um, it actually can affect that particular group for generations um, to come. Um, the Israelites haven't known anything different, so they're back worshiping um, something that Israel, that they were familiar with, or the Egypt was familiar with in, in Israel and all that stuff. And you'll see, as you read through the Old Testament, as you read what Israel does throughout the Old Testament, is that in this situation, it was actually really easy for God to get the, Egypt, uh, get the Israelites um, out of Egypt. But as you read through the Old Testament, you realize it's actually really hard to get um, Egypt out of Israel. Their habits, all those kind of things. Uh, and, and what we see take place after this incident is that uh, 3,000 Israelites end up um, dying because of this. Uh, but if you fast forward to the Pentecost in Acts, Jesus had died 50 days earlier, then resurrected and ascended and told, them, and told them to wait in Jerusalem in the upper room for this gift. 
And where these believers were, the winds caused the people to shake, like an earthquake. And the church then receives the Spirit of God. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, gets up and preaches, and he preaches about Jesus, the good news. He preaches about the gospel, and it's received by all these people. And Luke actually tells us that 3,000 people are saved. It's interesting. The doctor wants you to see something. In the first Pentecost, 3,000 people are killed. In the second Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved. In the first Pentecost, it takes 50 days after the Passover lamb sacrifice that ends up leading um, the Israelites out of, uh, out of slavery. Um, in the second Pentecost, it takes 50 days after the death of Jesus, who's considered the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Um, in, in the first Pentecost, it's only Moses who goes to the upper place. And in the second Pentecost, all of God's people go to the upper place. In the first Pentecost, I'm going to keep going. God's people are acting like pagans. In the second Pentecost, pagans are acting like God's people. Back in Exodus, God's people, they built bricks when they were in slavery. That was their job. But in Acts, we'll see in a minute, God's people are breaking bread together. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do bricks anymore. We do bread now. We break, we break bread now. It's a, it's, it's a complete reversal of the Pentecost of, of, of Exodus. It's a complete redemption. The community of God looks like totally different now. And I would like to invite you tonight to see that I think not only does God redeem the community of his people back then, I also think he wants to redeem his community today. And that there's, there's an interesting um, thing going on in our day and age regarding community. Uh, it, it, and it, it's hard to find. It's hard to find a community right now, um, nowadays. Uh, if you guys didn't know, we, we, we live in a really uh, big technology age, and we'll get to that in a minute. And it's, for some of us, we think it's one of the things uh, I've, I've noticed that people say about churches, actually, they can't find community. They've, they've tried and they can't find it. And in some regards, I actually don't blame them for saying that. I really don't. It's really, it's really, really tough. And I think there's a few reasons why. And the three points I want to invite you to consider tonight are, are these. What community has been, our current approach to community, and what God calls community to be. What it's been, current approach, and what God calls it to be. So, okay, starting with the first point, what community has been. Um, so we live in this big, really wild technology age, if you haven't noticed. Um, like, it's everywhere. And with the introduction to the smartphone, back, all the way back in the early 2000s, um, people really thought that this would be an incredible, almost like utopia, like, this is, this is going to be crazy. This is going to, this is going to solve all our, all our problems. We're going to solve this concept of isolation and loneliness because you actually can't really, ha- you don't have to be alone anymore, essentially. But what has actually ended up happening is the exact opposite. We live in a culture where people feel more isolated than ever before. And, I'm, and I, was, I was reading a bunch of stuff before our time together um, tonight, and I have some stats that I want to share with you. Um, in 1990, only 3% of people said they had no close friends. Only 3% of people in 1990 said they had no close friends. In 2021, that number's 12%. So it's gone up four times. In 1990, a third of Americans, 33% of Americans said they had 10 friends or more. That would be awesome to have 10 friends or more. In 2021, less than 10% of Americans can say that. Through the information and technology age, we're becoming more and more isolated and lonely. We are more connected, yet we are more isolated than ever before. 
And you can, you can even see it at church. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I did this cool thing. If you've ever been to a Sunday gathering, we do this cool thing called announcements. Um, and I was up on stage and I was doing um, announcements on the stage. And uh, I look out and there's like a lot of these people out there. There's a lot, of, a lot of people out there. And I was doing these announcements and I, I thought, I, I, I thought it was I, it was I. Um, and I, and I remember I look up and I see, I just see this. I see people walking around and they're just like, the whole time on their phone. Like, uh, like young people, there's, and then like old people and they don't use their thumbs. They use their index finger and they have their glasses down like this and they walk slower and they're just like, just walking, walking around. And it, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And here's what I noticed. We are really, really good at doing life around each other, but we are really, really bad at doing life with each other. Even, guys, this is crazy. Even the language we use when referring to community and programs is influenced by the technology we use. When you go to a church and you want to get involved in like a community or program or whatever, notice what someone will say. They'll say, hey, let's, let's get you plugged in. Right? Like you're, some, like you're part of like some machine. <laughs> like you're a piece of the technology itself. This is the world we live in. I'm, this, and this is serious. This is the, it can be funny, but this is the world we live in. Community and church is starting to look just like everywhere else. We live in the age of FOMO, the fear of missing out. And that causes us to be in a rush all the time. And when we get to the destination we wanted to get to, we're back looking at social media or texting someone else because we're worried that there might be something better out there that we're missing out on. Um, and kind of, this is kind of fun. This is a cool thing I, I found out. Did you know this actually affects the way we eat? Did you guys know that? That actually affects the way you eat. It's crazy. Um, our fear of missing out and rushing and all this stuff actually affects how we eat our food. Um, um, let me just give you some more things. I told you, I'm going to be nerding out a little bit. 20% of our meals in 2013, 20% of our meals are now eaten in cars. A report in 2013 said that the average American eats 13 meals at home each week and eight of them are spent in front of a TV. And this one blew my mind. It struck me when, when I heard it. In 1920, the average meal for a family was an hour and a half. That means you would eat your food and you would actually like talk to each other and stuff. It sounds awesome. Um, in, in 2006, you wanna know what the average time for a family was? 12 minutes. So when we do eat together, it's, it's, it's really quick, and then we're on our way um, to, to somewhere else. And I wonder, I wonder if the way we rush through life not only affects the way, the way we eat, but I wonder if it affects how we interact with each other. We are constantly tied to the notification center on our phone, and we aren't spending time in the slow listening to God. Did you guys know that Jesus was like never in a rush? Uh, it like turns out if you're the person who controls and invented time, you can't, you can't really be late to anything. Um, but uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't rush. And I wonder if we took the approach of slowing down and not giving um, into the culture of rushing, if we would have time to hear what God is actually saying to us. Um, I, I did this cool thing the other day. Um, did you know if you take out this like thing, this thing, um, and you uh, hold down, if you have an iPhone um, and, and you think you're better than everyone, sorry, uh, but I have an iPhone and I... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But did you know, if you, uh, if you hold down like these, these two buttons right here um, for like, I don't know, like five seconds, uh, it, it does this cool thing. It turns off. It's crazy. And when I, I did, I've been doing this more often. I've been doing this more often. And it's like, it's sometimes, some nights it's like, oh, yes, amazing. And some nights it's like, oh, I hate this. Um, and 
one time when I turned it off in the evening, it flashed like this little symbol of, of an apple with like a bite taken out of it, um, almost like laughing in my face a little bit. And it, it, it reminded me, it's like, maybe I've been like eating from the wrong tree like this, this whole time. Um, and I want to read you another passage um, from Acts chapter 2, and it starts in verse 42. You can follow along to verse 47. That should also be up on the, on the screen. Caden, um, thank you. Um, you can follow along. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together uh, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, Notice in verse 42, the first verse, it says that they devoted themselves um, to teaching and fellowship together. Uh, That word devoted is actually kind of interesting. Uh, it's essentially saying they gave themselves to the community of, of fellowship with each other. Um, and it, it was hard. And when you devote yourself to something, it's actually like, it's, you don't devote yourself to something that's like easy. You devote yourself to something that's kind of difficult. And, and they did it. And notice what it looked like. It was awesome. Even though it was difficult, there was so much good in it. And I think with what community is right now, when it's difficult, we give up. And we give up pretty quickly because we can just go find something else out there that we're probably going to leave anyways. We live in an age of doing life around each other, but not with each other. Now, some of this bleeds into the second point, which is our, which is our current approach to community. You can go to the next slide. Um, yeah, the next one. I want everyone to see this. Um, so this is Saddam Hussein. Uh, why am I showing you this? Um, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> if, you don't know who, if you don't know who he is, he is the uh, former Iraqi dictator. Um, and what you'll notice is that when you look through history, He put out a ton of propaganda through history, and he's always either smiling or looking powerful in a higher um, status and stuff. Um, And what you'll notice is is he's doing that in every single thing. And now while these photos are being um, broadcasted all across America and Iraq, this is where he was uh, later found. You can go to the next slide. He's found in a pit. And he lived there for quite a while. The, The actual condition of his life was far different than the images he was promoting. I don't think we operate in our day-to-day with others very differently. Because, the, because of the age we live in, it has actually created an age that is centered around image. Maybe some of the problems with us finding community and even starting community is because we feel like we can't present our full selves. And maybe we can't do that because we just think our full selves is just just too much. Uh, Mark Sayers, um, who's, uh, who's a pastor and theologian, he wrote this awesome book called The Disappearing Church. Um, and I have this quote that he, he had. It's great. And he, said, he says this. It says, a world centered on image, the distraction of constant entertainment, And the projection of a successful self is a world where the inner life wilts. What's fascinating is that when we hide the parts we feel like we lack in or have shame about, we don't present our full selves, but we start presenting this thing called a false self, a curated and image-based version of ourselves. Um, Have you guys ever had people come over to your house and like you didn't, you forgot to clean? 
that ever happened? And so, like, what do you typically do? Uh, you kind of, like, put, you try and put stuff away. Um, but you, you, do you guys, like, hide some things sometimes? Yeah, I, I hide things. Like, when, when Avery, my wife, Avery, um, she's really good at putting things away. I am not. Um, so I will hide things. Um, have you guys ever, like, hid something, like, so well that you couldn't find it later? <laughs> it's crazy. You're like, you're like, I just surprised myself there. Um, I think sometimes we get so good at presenting this false self and hiding the parts of ourselves that we don't think are favorable to the point where we don't know anything but the false self anymore. We can't find the parts of ourselves that are true. And I would say that this, this is a big reason why I think a lot of us in this room struggle with identity. I think we have a problem with feeling the sense that we almost have to be worthy in order to belong. When we try to enter into a community, we think we have to behave, then believe, and then belong. Behave, believe, belong. Um, and I can, I can actually really relate to this. It is actually, it's, it's really difficult for me to um, find community a lot of times. And I felt this pressure uh, all my life. I felt this pressure to uh, pre- like present like, myself in a way that like, try to impress people and all those things. And when I entered ministry, it felt like I had to like, blow people's mind all the time in order for people to like me. And maybe some of you can attest to this. And what I've come to notice is it's really easy. I really like reading and studying theology and like I like make Avery mad sometimes because she's like, why don't you talk about something else? Like, can we just do something else except this? Um, and I, I've realized, what I've realized recently is actually really easy to worship, study, and theology of God without actually worshiping God. And maybe some of you can attest to this. And it's funny, when you actually read through the New Testament, there are these people, there are these people called, they're called the Pharisees. Um, and they loved studying about God, studying the law, the Old Testament, all those kind of things. And it's interesting to notice that when God actually comes down in the flesh and he's around them, they can't make room for him. And what we see is that our current approach, behave, believe, belong. It's literally a backwards gospel. We've got it backwards. Like Jesus says, you belong before you've done anything. I mean, like, read about his baptism. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down um, on him and, and the father said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. I'll say that again. This is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus started his ministry. He hadn't done like a, if you, if you read it, he hadn't done anything up until that point. He hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't cast out a demon. He hadn't resurrected anyone. He, he, has, he has done nothing cool. <laughs> nothing cool up until this point. Except in the only really kind of thing we know is that he got this really awkward moment as a teenager where he got lost in the temple for three days. <laughs> and let me just say this, my friends. Let me just say this. God does not affirm and love you after you've read your Bible enough. He does not affirm and love you after you've prayed to him. He does not affirm and love you after you've done things in his name. He affirms and loves you before you have done anything. Anything. I want to talk about babies for a minute. Um, We love babies. We think they're awesome. Um, Babies are super cute and they're amazing and stuff. Um, And it's really interesting. Notice this. Um, Babies are actually, they're born into belonging. Um, I don't, they don't believe much. Uh, other than that it's like slightly, it's more uncomfortable and it's like cold than it was before, um, they, before they were born. Um, and they, they, they definitely, 
They definitely don't behave, like at all. But they belong. I think somehow us adults, we've like lost our way in that. When we have to curate ourselves and behave and believe before we belong, we actually become pretty jaded. Um, And I would argue we become pretty consumeristic. We get to a point where we, we just see what we can get out of like a particular group. And when we've we finished consuming, we'll just move on to the next thing. We, we become nomadic. Um, there was this article that I was reading uh, called Making Sense of Belonging by Dr. Kelly Ann Allen. She's an educational and developmental um, psychologist. And she reminds us in this article that living alone actually like was not an option for us for most of human history um, until recent history. Uh, we depended on belonging. We, living in groups and cooperating with others for, for like survival and safety. But now today we have, she says this quote unquote, like luxury um, and resources to live on our own. But she, she says this, this comfort actually comes at like an extremely high cost. We, we don't know how to interact with each other anymore. And even worse, I, I, she, she says we don't know how to, how to interact with others who are, who are different. And the second, and I would say the second we, we might hear truth in a, in a place that doesn't line up with how we're acting, we, we leave and try to find somewhere else. And in a world where we can unfollow and like block people, we don't want to go through the struggle of living with people who are different than us. And that brings us to this last point, uh, what God actually calls community to be. And uh, we'll put the verses uh, 1 through 13 back up on the screen. Um, notice what verses actually 9 through 13 say, um, and I'll reread it so you're not like lost, like where are you, where are you talking about? Um, who, notice who is here receiving the Holy Spirit. I'll read from verse 9. It says, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Um, and when, when you actually look at the timeline of this, this took place in the morning, like 9, 10 in the morning. And you have all these different kinds of people from uh, different backgrounds, cultures, and, and some of them were actually even enemies to each other. And they're all speaking each other's languages. And there's some people there who said they've had like too much to drink, which like shows that they've literally never been to a college town like on a weekend, um, like ever. And <laughs> And, and this idea that they can also speak in each other's languages, it's, it's actually really cool. This, th- with the Holy Spirit, this is actually an undoing of something even earlier um, in the Bible as well. In Genesis, there's this story uh, about this thing called like the Tower of Babel. Have you guys ever heard of that? Cool. If you haven't, it's um, this place where uh, humanity essentially wants to build this tower and they're, they're saying, we want to make a great name for ourselves and they wanted to idolize themselves and all those kind of things. And what God did is he actually, he, he saw this and he confused the languages of, of the people um, there. And since then, humanity has had this struggle to communicate to each other. Communicate to each other through their differences. And now at Pentecost, when the spirit falls, the church suddenly has the ability to speak in the tongues and languages of all the people nearby. It's a reversal of Babel. The church is sent into the world to spread the gospel to each and every people group in their own tongue. And, and, and we can get hung up on like the supernatural ability of, of, of this whole speaking in tongues thing, but I want, to, I want us to notice here, I think the thing I want you to notice in, in here is that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit actually allows us to communicate with each other, who, to communicate the differences with each other. That's what he gives us, is the ability to communicate to each other through our differences. Like look at all these people 
Look at all these people in here. Or they're not there anymore. But uh, look at all these people that I just read. Um, we, we think, like, they had all these differences. They had different ways of life. And they were actually allowed, they were allowed to sit together and eat food and talk and, and, and be together. And guess what? It was probably hard. It was probably like super hard. But God was more important than their differences. We think that in order to have a godly and life-giving community, that everyone just needs to agree with each other. And it's like, no wonder we're so disappointed. Seriously. God's people don't all think and act the same, yet the Holy Spirit allows them to flourish together. Look around the room. Look around the room at each other. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Just don't look at me. We got some interesting people in here. Yeah. And I got some friends. And I don't think I would've, they would have been my friends if uh, the Holy Spirit wasn't working through us. Um, isn't that crazy? Only God could get a community of people like that around each other. And, I, and I'll be the first to admit, like me and my friend group, we, and, or whatever, we, we drive each other nuts sometimes. And um, I'll be honest, it's usually me doing that. <laughs> get ready for this. In, in, the words, in the words of Parker Palmer, this is what he writes. He says, community is that place where the person you least want to live always lives. And when that person moves away, someone else immediately takes his or her place. Community is about engaging each other through our differences. Are you willing to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit calls you to do? And here's one of my favorite things in the passage. We're going to put this back up. This ain't going anywhere. We're going to put this back up. I love how weird it is. And my college professor pointed this out. And he recently gave a teaching on it and reminded me that I, I need to share this with you guys because it's so cool. It just blows my mind. This, uh, the, the first part, the, the tongues of fire thing. Isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that kind of weird, the tongues of fire thing? Like, well, what's up with that? All these people are gathered around. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon all these people. And it says there were like tongues of fire resting on all their heads. And when you read the text, actually, when you look at um, the, the first, um, first century and second century church and their paintings of this moment, um, the tongues of fire, they're not like above their heads, like, like if you're playing a video game, it's like character selection. Um, it's, actually, um, it's actually like, it's like on their heads. And, and, and my professor pointed this out, like um, when you read it too, in almost every translation, it, I think in every translation, it says it like rested, like on their head. And and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to like stretch the text farther than it needs to go. But if, if the tongues of fire are like resting, like like on their heads, and then you look up, I'll do it for you guys. And you look up, <laughs> what can't you see? Someone say it. What can't you see? You can't see the tongue. Okay. How how would I know? How would I know if there's a tongue on my head? Someone have to someone have to come up and go. Hey, hey, bro, you've, uh, you've got a tongue on your head. Have you ever looked around and you could see God working through everyone else's lives except your own? Welcome to the Christian faith. <laughs> but it's true. You look around and you're going like, come on, man. Like I see God working through all these people. I see, look, look right here, tongues, tongues, tongues. And you're going over here like, what's going on with me? What's going on with me? Someone's got to point it out. We've got to be in the room together. But I think God, I, God gives us an identity. He gives us a name. But I think that God calls us to a community where people are different so that we can help each other name the identity that God might have for us. 
Like, I don't think there's many communities out there that are actually doing that. Like, seriously. Like, we've got to show up and you've got to go, my friend, I have known you for years and years and there is a tongue on your head that you need to see. There's a gift that you have. And I still remember my senior year of college, AJ Soboda, Doyle Schrader, Troy Dean, Ryan Rosenberg, all said, Brad, there is a tongue on your head and you need to explore this idea of ministry as your calling. And now, next week, I am having my 200th teaching since that call with no intention of stopping. And I don't say that to get any sort of credit. God talked to them and told them to tell me and I wouldn't have known. Can I get an amen? And for some of us, you're like, okay, Brad, that's great, but like, what if... What if I just like lost a community or like whatever and I, just, I don't know where to go and all this kind of thing. I feel lonely. I feel isolated, all these things. Um, I, I would encourage you to look at the life of Jesus and realize that your loneliness, your isolation, your loss of community, it's actually relative. And here's why. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, he was truly lonely. He was truly isolated and he truly lost the community around him so that when we feel lonely, we can know that he is with us. When we are isolated, we can know he's with us. Ben, can you come back up here? You can come back up here. It's okay. It's okay. I told like one of you guys that I was going to do this. You can come back up here. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've actually been uh, wrestling with this part of my life for the last couple of months um, with my therapist. And uh, some of the reason why I think um, we, we struggle so much with finding a, a community is, uh, like that and being in a community like that is because, because we've been hurt at some point. And I came to know Jesus when I was 20. And, and one of the things that I've been doing in the last couple of months with my counselor is I've been listening to like, uh, the, the little child in me who was not listened to as a kid. The little, the little me in the past who thought like no one loved him, um, who thought he was unworthy um, and undeserving. Um, and and for the first time in my life, I've been starting to like, listen to like, that guy. And there's this line um, that, Jesus, that Jesus says in the New Testament. And it says, uh, he says, let the, let the children come to me. And I'm, I'm learning that I don't think that Jesus just means let all these other little children come to me. I, I think he means to let the inner child within us come to him too. Let those parts of our lives that you thought were dead and broken um, those parts get retroactively saved too. And, and I'm starting to realize uh, for myself huh, that, that Jesus was, was with me the entire time and that he was with you the entire time. And, and tonight, I think, I, I think Jesus, I, I think he's inviting us to respond and we're going to respond in worship. Um, what, what, what do you need to bring to him tonight? that loneliness, that isolation. Um, what, what, what do you want a community to look like? And, and ask Jesus tonight, are, are, Jesus, help me um, lead. Help me be in a community that, that flourishes, that, where I can present my full selves. I don't have to hide anymore.